0: Welcome to Hockey Mountain High, your go-to avalanche podcast presented by Superbook Sports and Total Beverage in Thornton and Westminster. I'm your host, JJ Jerez. With me, Arif Dean. Arif coming to us from the Saddledome following the 5-3 loss to the Calgary Flames. And it seemed like a game where the schedule, the cruelty of the (laughs) schedule and the schedule makers seems to peek its ugly head, doesn't it, Arif?
1: I think... I may have said 5-2, not 5-3, but I think about a month and a half ago when Nazem Kadri signed, I said, Calgary is going to win this game like 5-2, and Khadri is going to have like two goals and two assists. Well, he only had one assist. The Avalanche scored an extra goal for good measure, but it, yeah, it's ultimately one of those scheduled losses, and, and Jared was very straightforward about that. He, you know, after breaking down all the things his team did wrong, he said, look, we got in at 4 a.m. They were waiting for us and hungry to start their season. It's, it's ultimately one of those things that just... You gotta chalk it up for what it is.
0: Yeah, that was tough. It was their first game of the year. You know they were getting up for it. They were well rested and and yeah, I like the way Jared Benner handled that post game conference. He kind of didn't make excuses. Didn't make excuses. Still said, look, we're professionals. We have to get to work. And uh, we didn't do that tonight, but then at the end, it was kind of like, hey, you know, but we did get in at 4, but, yeah, yeah, after
1: all. Yeah, and I mean, in the end, like, the, my biggest takeaway from this game is, look, the Avalanche, they were they were getting outplayed immensely. Like, and Byram scored the flukiest of fluky goals to start the game, and then it kind of reminded me of, what was it, Game 3 in Tampa Bay, where the Avalanche got the first goal, and then the Lightning really started to press and just took over. It kind of gave me vibes of that. Um, I don't want to think too far, you know, ahead to the playoffs, but – What my biggest takeaway from this game is, look, Calgary came out strong. They they rode that momentum. They caught the avalanche flat-footed. They they were controlling the play, getting all the shots, all the opportunities. But late in the game, this team that had played its second game in two nights, that had this banner-raising ceremony, the emotions of opening night, and got in at 4 a.m., managed to find a way to semi-kind of maybe make this a game. And I think that that's something you could take away. Like, Lekinen, Nichushkin, Retanen, and McKinnon – I don't have the exact numbers, but they just they did not get off the ice there at the end. Kale McCarr, like those guys were on the ice seemingly for the entire end of the third period. I know Rodriguez was on at one point as the sixth attacker, switch for Comfort, but like they really genuinely did fight to the bitter end. It was just way too little too late.
0: Yeah, I think you hit something on the head there with the... Uh, I mean, first of all, yeah, they fought back beautifully. I mean, it, it was ugly from the start, and then suddenly they found a little bit of juice, and even, even the shot count out a little bit, right? And ended up making it a game by the end of it, even though at one point it was 5-1. to one. So credit to them for finding a way to dig deep. And, you know, it's still early in the season. I'm confident later in the year when they find themselves in these situations, they'll dig themselves out of it more often, but they still got to get their legs underneath them. The other thing you touched on there was just the the emotional things they've been going through not even the last couple days I would say this whole week right starting with early in the week when they had their ring dinner and they had the cool little boxes with the iPads in them or whatever they were and uh, you know that looked fun and just you know dealing with the ceremony just go you know still having to deal with that stuff while we heard even from Nathan McKinnon back in training camp how he doesn't even like seeing this stuff anymore he doesn't he doesn't like seeing the Stanley Cup he doesn't like dealing with it but you, you had to do it one last it. couple yeah. times you had to move past it um but uh yeah it's just been a a wild week for them so i guess playing through that has been a challenge i'm sure
1: yeah and honestly it's still continuing right now because on my way up to the press box right now after jared finished speaking uh as i was walking out of that that area nazim kadri's entire family was walking in his parents his uh his wife his daughter and some of his siblings as well so said hi to them and came up I saw Rantanen, you know, shaking hands with his dad, giving his wife a hug, saying hi to all of them again. I'm sure Nazem Kadri's on his way down right now. The Avalanche are going to see Andre Burakovsky and the Seattle Kraken in about a week. Like it's going to continue a little bit, but you're slowly getting away from it. You know, Uh, even having Jack Johnson there for opening night, and it's just it's a lot to get over, and it's why. You know, I, th- I, I, I didn't say it on the podcast. I sat on Mile High Sports on the radio uh, on Wednesday or Tuesday, which, whatever day I went on. I said that, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if the Avalanche do come out to another four, five and one or five and five or five, four and one start like they did last year because there's just so much going on right now that you're going to have to work through these steps to get over this thing, to get over the fact that, you know, a little more than 24 hours ago, your captain, who, by the way, is injured and hasn't started playing yet. Literally hoisted the Stanley Cup on the ice at Ball Arena and skated it around. And then they all locked arms with Jack Johnson wearing a Blackhawks jersey. Just a surreal moment watching that banner go up. And, you know, they rode that momentum against, let's face it, a really bad team and were the exact team that we know that they could be. And then they were that again tonight. You want to know what tonight's game really reminded me of? Uh, Was it three or four? Game four, Edmonton Oilers. They looked like they were down and out over and over and over, but they continued to claw back, eventually forced overtime. Today, they just didn't have that final piece to force overtime. So this is the same Avalanche team. This is the same team that we know they could be. Uh, Frankie was, you know, to be honest with you, I feel like Frankie made better saves than Georgie, and that's just because Frankie faced better shots than Georgie did. But I'm not too concerned. It's just one of those things that mix the emotions, with the back-to-back, with getting in at 4 a.m., the odds were stacked against this team, and even as a Stanley Cup champion, even as the team that's favored to do it to do it again and repeat, it still
0: was a tough hill to climb. Yeah, you might as well get used to these back-to-backs, though, early because you got two more just this <laughs> month, right? So, yep. um, you know, getting the legs, again, getting the legs underneath them uh, early on here and trying to get momentum started. But, yeah, nothing to worry about. It's a loss. It's Losses are going to happen. We all kind of expected it um i guess a couple things i want to get into with the calgary and then we'll move on to talking about the opening night um the calgary game you you touched on Nas. what was it like seeing him in person did you get to hear anything of his did he talk post game did you get in the locker room um i guess you know you are at the saddle Dome. Give give us the scoop how was it seeing his family talk a little bit more about Nas, since yeah. that's kind of the whole reason you went tonight
1: yeah, of course, and uh, I unfortunately didn't get to talk to him. Obviously, my flight came in because I left early morning in Denver. I missed the Calgary Flames morning skate, and post game it was either the a- <coughs> excuse me, it was either the Avalanche's room or the Flames room, and I obviously had to pick the Avalanche's room. So, if I hung out downstairs a little bit longer, I probably would have saw him come out to say hi to the players. Um, but obviously, even in that situation, it wouldn't have been a formal interview and an opportunity to really. Uh, get a feel from him of what he felt like tonight. But watching him play on the other side, look, you guys watched it on TV. I know JJ, you watched it on TV. That's the same Nazim Kadri that walked out in free agency. That's the same guy. He drew two penalties on Makar and Eric Johnson. How many guys draw penalties on on Kale McCarr? Like he he did his his job. He set up a. He had an assist on one of the power play goals. Um, and he played that Nazem Kadri game. He he didn't get under the Avalanche's skin where they were hacking and whacking at him, but he still drew two penalties. He only played seventeen minutes, and he was very sorely, obviously missed. Uh, but the biggest thing that I took away from not having Kadri in the lineup was late in that game. To be honest, I'm surprised Calgary didn't score an empty netter, but they had five faceoffs in the Calgary zone with the goalie pulled, and the Flames won the first four. And then JT Comfort came on and won the fifth one to McKinnon. McKinnon shot. Markstrom safe. They didn't have a guy to win the crucial faceoff when they needed it. Obviously, I know Landis injured. That's your guy. But they tried Rodriguez. They tried McKinnon. I think Rantanen got one too. I can't remember for sure. And then JT jumped in, got on the ice, and won the fifth one. So... There was a lot of a lot of what you were missing was seen on the other side because literally the guy that you were missing was playing on the other side. And and it's something that this team's going to have to work through.
0: How do you feel about Calgary as a whole? Are they looking good? Do you think after kind of the big adjustments that they made this offseason, do you see that the uh, I guess the new look Calgary Flames seem like a legit contender at this point?
1: Um, I mean, this is the only game they've played, and they played a game that was on the tail end of everything we just spent seven or eight minutes describing. So it's hard to really get a full gauge for them. But at the same time, this is a deep roster, and what and what they did tonight was exactly what I expected. They had a strong top line: Toffoli with Lindholm and uh, Huberto. You know, Lindholm obviously lost both of his line mates in Kachuk and uh, Goudreau. They had Kadri with Dubé, who's just a speedy young you know forward who seem to be gelling with him and Manji Apani, the third line, they have Lucic, they have guys like Zadorov on the blue line. Mackenzie Weger was very noticeable. Rasmus Anderson had a, <coughs> excuse me, had a goal and an assist. Jacob Markstrom was making nice saves. This is a team that I believe is one of the three top teams in the Western Conference and one that's gonna give the Avalanche fits to the very end.
0: Yeah, you're right. Kind of a silly question after one game, but I guess the reason I really ask it is because after seeing that game, Calgary really looked like a team that was, I don't know, sharper than the Avalanche were in their first game yesterday, right? I think the Avalanche kind of looked a little bit rusty there, kind of got lucky that they were playing a weak Chicago Blackhawks team and were able to eventually dominate the game. But I didn't really see much rust or too many errors that indicate yeah. that, hey, we're at the beginning of the season for Calgary. So I, I definitely see them as being, um, you know, maybe somebody that the Avalanche see in, in deep in the playoffs. That'd be a fun, yeah. Fun, fun series.
1: Yeah. And when you have that many new guys come in and they're guys that play the important roles that Kaji Huberto and Uyghur are going to play, uh, you have a lot of reasons to, to get off to a hot start to really wake up for that first game and play your best. You and I said something throughout the entire month of September and it was this damn preseason is so boring and I'm so over it and oh my God, can we just get to the regular season? Well, you know what other teams like let's say the Tampa Bay Lightning are saying? This damn preseason is so boring. Can we just get over it? And can we just get through this damn regular season so we can start to play when it matters in the playoffs? The Avalanche have surpassed the first step of the preseason doesn't matter. The Flames are, or are, 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 uh, you know, they're working toward the stage where they're going to be only focusing on the playoffs. The Flames have a lot to prove, have a lot to play for. With all these new guys, they have a big urgency to get off to a hot start, and it's why, you know, they're doing what they're doing.
0: Basically, through two games, the power play looks real good, 5v5 struggling, and the penalty kill not looking so hot. I mean, anything to look into those three things right now is just kind of wait and see how these things pan out over the next, I don't know, six, seven, eight games.
1: What I'm learning from the power play, and I know it's only two games, um, but the Avalanche have two wingers and Lekanen and Achushkin that if these guys continue to score the way they're playing, the the way they're scoring and play defensively the way they're playing, these guys are going to be literally like the way we think of Mark Stone as this highly regarded two-way forward who plays on the wing, the Avalanche might have two of those guys. Like Lekkinen and Duchuskin have not skipped a beat. Like they look unbelievable. And I almost like to, to, you know, no disrespect to Newhook and Rodriguez, I almost feel bad for Nachushkin because Lekin is playing with McKinnon and Renton, and Kadri's gone, Burakovsky's gone, and Landeskog's injured. So Nachushkin's kind of the guy left out playing with two guys that one of them wasn't even on the team and the other one was not a top six forward last season. So he's kind of missing out. But on the power play, he's really pitching in. He's really taking advantage of like, yes, I get to play with those top guys again and scoring those big goals.
0: Jared Benner was asked about Alex Newhook there in the post game interview and didn't really have mm-hmm. too good of things to say about him. Again, anything to read into there, or is it simply just you know a bad night from a lot of guys?
1: A um, little bit of both. Uh, when he was asked about New Hook, he was asked by Katie at altitude, and he said, liked him yesterday, tonight not so much, and I told him to follow up on that second line in general, and he straight up said they got to get better. He said uh, they got to be better than tonight, and then he obviously went on to say our whole team was a little bit off and we got in at 4 a.m. and whatever. That was the very last question he was asked, but... The fact of the matter is he does know that that line has more to give. Um, he's going to need to rely on Nachushkin to kind of carry that weight here until Landiskov comes back, whatever the hell that is. But you could tell Rodriguez is getting a little bit more comfortable, and, and exactly what Jared said is what I saw. Newhook took a step back tonight, but it's a learning curve for this kid. He's still young, and there's a reason why he has a long leash. Two games is not enough to cut that leash.
0: All right, let's take a second here to talk about Superbook Sports. I know I've been getting my wagering on and it's been so much fun. I'm actually 3-0 and oh so far in the season era. If I'm taking a little bit of a different strategy this year and I'm just taking one pick a night. One pick, that's it. So I'm excited for... Ah, uh, you're
1: stepping back from the degenerate table. I love it.
0: No, I just think uh true degenerates, the true guys with experience know that this is kind of a smarter way, you know, put more <laughs> money into one bet rather than scattering your money into four or five bets that, you know, you end up two and three or, you know, just above even. Um But yeah, I'm excited to share some of my picks once we get to uh once I get to Ballerina, they didn't let me at the at the first game, but I'll get there and I'll make some fun picks and hopefully we can all share in some Hitting some bets, but of course, Superbook Sports is a good place to do that because football is back and nobody is more excited than your friends at Superbook Sports. Superbook is bringing Vegas-style wagering to the palm of your hands, and now they will match 100% of your first bet up to $1,000, no matter if the bet wins or loses. You don't have to be at the stadium to enjoy football this fall. Visit Superbook.com or download the Superbook Colorado app right now and start getting in on all the action. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions, gambling problem call, 1-800-522-4700. 1-800-522-4700. That brings us to um, last night. Of course, we're here recording after Wednesday, the yes. Calgary game. It's late night. I've got my tea going. So our intentions were to record a post-game podcast after the opening night. But again, a lot of national media attended. They only had one seat for Mile High Sports. And of course, you you took that. So um Let's get into it now. I guess the ceremony, right? Uh, we talked a little bit earlier about how they've been playing through some emotion this week. Added emotion there in the ceremony. You touched on the Jack Johnson thing. One of the o- coolest moments I've ever seen in sports, I think. You never so get to awesome. see jersey, con- you know, jersey uh, mingling like that. So um, I guess, yeah, just your overall thoughts on the ceremony, the uh, the feel of the arena, and just what you took out of opening night. Yeah. JJ,
1: I'm sure you've, you've sat by me enough to know that I'm I, I'm an emotional wreck with with everything, not just with sports and not as a fan, but just as a human being in that moment. There was a lot of tears in that arena, and I, I shed a few tears, too. It was just really something about 18,000 and whatever people. It's usually 18,007, but I'm sure they sold some standing room only. Something about all of those people coming together the way they did, uh, the way that they chanted, the way that they... Uh, sang the song together when, when uh, blank 182 when, when the lead singer came out and kind of led that sing-along. It was just such a cool moment. Like some, The energy in that building was unlike anything I've seen. Calgary has a rowdy, rowdy crowd. This is one of the better crowds in the league, and today felt nothing like yesterday because of where the Avalanche fans were in that moment. Coming off that Stanley Cup final, coming off of knowing that in may and june everybody and their mother every national media member every fan across the globe was talking about holy shit! look how fun those fans at ball arena are and they carried it on into that night so that was cool in itself but to me is exactly what you said is what i was fixated on i was so focused on the jack johnson angle from the very beginning and i was i i was absolutely taken away by the way it played out and so happy it played out the way it did
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it didn't affect the game at all, right? I think if, especially if you're Chicago, you're like, well, what's this guy doing? Is he gonna go play soft? And no, I think he played a good game. Nobody took anything easy on anybody, and that's what I really liked about the mentality of this Avalanche team is they were able to. All right, the ceremony's over. They've been waiting for it to get over. You know that the. They've just had this hanging over their head. They're ready to turn the page. And you've heard that message from them for the last couple of days. We're ready to turn the page, turn the page, turn the page. And I feel everybody was able to do so right after that ceremony and, and props to that because that's hard to play through, hard to play through all these emotions. I give them a lot of credit.
1: Yeah, of course. Of course, and it's the same thing that they're dealing with right now, talking to Kadri after playing against him in, in this game, playing against him for the first time since 2018-19. So, uh, you know, my favorite moment in that Jack Johnson thing. So I was so fixated on it the entire time when when uh, the banner and the Stanley Cup and all that was starting to get set up after the players were introduced one by one. I, I just had my eyes on the Blackhawks bench, and I watched him come out of the tunnel and sit down. And it was so dark you couldn't see the jersey number, but I knew it was Jack. You knew it was him, and then, you know, you got a closer look, the shape of his head, his hair. You're like, yeah, that's Jack Johnson. So he sits on there as Gabe Landeskog picks up the cup, hoists it. The fans went completely bananas. Like, it was so cool. Number one, I mean, side note, seeing Gabe Landeskog was so cool because it's kind of like a shadow of a person because we haven't seen him since media day. It was cool to see him there dressed up in all his gear. And as Landeskog was skating it, the Avalanche players were sitting on the bench. Some were clapping. Some were tapping their sticks. Jack Johnson on the Blackhawks bench, he was sitting down. He stood up and just started clapping. Like, it was a really cool moment to see that. It was kind of like that Shia LaBeouf meme where he just stands up and starts clapping. So it was really cool to see that. And I was watching him like... The Avalanche players, they get off the bench. They skate. Well, they were standing near the bench. They start skating toward Landeskog, and I'm watching this guy, and I'm like, "Get the hell off the bench! Like, why are you still sitting there? You need to be with the team. Like, you are one of these guys." So, the Avalanche players get away from the bench. You know, minus Rodriguez and and Georgiev and Sedlak and all of them, the guys that weren't part of the winning winning team, they stayed put, leaning up against the bench. The others, they all gather around Landeskog. And then JT Comfer skates up to Jack Johnson, and they kind of have, like, a high-five moment. And then as Jack Johnson, or as Comfer is skating away, Jack Johnson opens the door and gets off the bench. And I, I just know in my brain that Comfer was like, get the fuck off the bench. Like, come on. Like, something had to have been said in that moment.
0: This is probably something that you missed uh, being in the arena that they caught on TV when they went to kind of take a picture together and Jack Johnson was still with the team. Darren Helm actually skated around a bunch of people and said, hey, let me get in here next to Jack Johnson. I didn't realize Helm and Jack Johnson had that kind of a relationship. I, I mean, obviously, when you win a Stanley Cup together, there's a bond that gets created. But I didn't really connect that Jack Johnson had that much of an impact in that room considering his late addition.
1: Oh, he absolutely did. I was talking to Mark Lazarus. Uh, I went out to – Tuesday night I went out to dinner with Mark Lazarus, the Blackhawks reporter, and I think Ryan Ryan Clark, who you all know, and Peter Ball. You know, we all went and hung out. And Mark spent a good amount of time at that dinner talking about Jack Johnson and how crucial he was going to be for that Blackhawks room. Again, this is a guy that was the number seven defenseman on this team when they were healthy and then played with Manson, but really was like the number five, six guy behind Eric Johnson in terms of time on ice in the playoffs, but he played his role. Like my favorite part about Jack Johnson is this guy was on the ice for eleven of the sixteen Avalanche victories. Because they won four against Nashville with Gerard. They won the first one against St. Louis with Gerard and then Gerard was injured in game three before they won the second game. Or so he was on the ice for ten technically, not eleven. So he was a crucial part of their Stanley Cup final run. And he's a grizzled old veteran that had never won the cup. Had it not been for the Andrew Cogliano acquisition at the deadline, you bet your ass Jack Johnson would have been next in line to get the cup after EJ, but it was Cogliano. On top of that, this is a guy that's been through a ton in his life. Everybody's heard or probably read, and if you haven't, you can Google it, his history with his parents and what's been going on since his days as a college athlete at the University of Michigan to signing a big contract with the LA Kings eventually going bankrupt. Read about it. It's a it's a really sad story, but this is a guy that's been through a lot. He signs a 5-year deal with the Penguins, he gets bought out, he gets a 1-year deal with the Rangers, he gets injured the first month of the season. The Avalanche give him a PTO, he makes the team, he gets a contract, he wins the Stanley Cup. He's a great dude. Everybody loves him. Like we can sit here and say that all athletes and I'm not going to say Avalanche players, but we can sit here and say all athletes are great people. But deep down inside, when you have this job, you know some of the guys, and you know that some are a lot more genuine than others. Jack Johnson is genuinely a good dude. He's a good human. People loved him in that locker room. It's why the Blackhawks are happy to have him, even though he's just a depth guy. And it's why this team loves him so much.
0: And you got to feel for him. There's a good chance that he'll never play a playoff hockey game again in in the NHL.
1: Oh, no, 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 no. Uh, What did I tell you about a month and a half ago? I said something along the lines of, Who from the former Avs do we think is going to be the next one to join this team? This is back before Paul Stastny signed with Carolina. We were talking about him. I said, it's not going to be Paul Stastny. It's going to be Jack Johnson. I genuinely believe, look, we know what Joe Sacking and Chris McFarland like to do. They traded for Patrick Nemeth and Carl Soderberg that one year. We know these dudes are going to go out at the trade deadline and give Chicago a fifth-round draft pick and be like, all right, give us our number seven defenseman back. I, I, I can feel it in my core, and I'm saying it now on October 13th at 11.24 p.m. somewhere in Calgary because I want to remember this when the trade deadline ends, that I genuinely think the Avalanche are going to trade back for this guy.
0: Throw Patrick Kane in there too while you're at it.
1: <laughs> why not? Two for one. Uh, but the, the big thing, and I was talking to you know, a couple, couple people in the business that told me that the Avalanche wanted to sign Jack Johnson this summer and Jack wanted to return. And the only reason why, and I understand, again, this is a business. It's the same reason why Kadri plays for the team in this arena where I'm at right now. It is a business. And for Jack Johnson, being the veteran that he is, the Avalanche had basically said to him, according to the, you know, reporters that I talked to, that the Avalanche had basically said to him to just wait a little bit because they needed to figure out their cap situation. You know, they had just signed Hellman Manson. They were still considering, you know, signing Nazem Qadri. Didn't know what was going on there. And you remember the entire month of waiting on Kadri. It was, well, if he signs, they got to trade a Comfer or a Gerard. So there was a lot of numbers and a lot of cap gymnastics they had to deal with where they wanted to figure that out before committing anything to Jack. And here is the business standpoint is as a veteran at that age that knows he's going to be signing Evergreen one-year deals the rest of his career, he needed to sign a contract with another team before it was too late. Because the last thing you want is for there to not be any more seats at the table, the Avalanche not be able to make it work, and then you have to come back and you know sign another PTO somewhere. So the guaranteed money was very crucial for him, and it was good that he got that deal.
0: Interesting stuff for sure. Um, it's just too bad – that the Avalanche can't have moments like that with all of their former players that were a part of it, right? That would be fun, but yeah. it would get exhausting too. We already know they're kind of over it. so
1: Yeah, for sure. But, you know, I, I do like that it's spread out. Like uh, I already mentioned that uh, Andre Burakoski will be here soon. Kadri's not coming to Denver until March. I don't remember when Kemper is. I think it's in January, I want to say. San Jose It's going to be uh, a while.
0: Yeah, right. They'll face Kemper in Washington in November. But well, I'm talking um, the yeah, 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 the
1: returns to right.
0: Yeah, yeah, right. It's not till January, late January, that he's in, in Denver. Bingo.
1: So late January for that for him. San Jose, which is Nico Sturm, which is kind of the forgotten piece, is not until March seven. Calgary is not until, oh my God, where is Calgary? Are they February? February twenty fifth. Yep,
0: twenty fifth.
1: So it's gonna be a while before you see this guy. And New Year's Eve is Toronto. That's Nicholas Obey Kubel. Of, of course, these guys have to be healthy when this happens because if you know they're out four to six weeks, they're not going to jump on a plane. But um, they're kind of spread out the rest of the way. But Jack, like, look, I everybody knows how much I love and respect Nazem Kadri and who he is. Darcy Kemper is such a great guy. Obey Kubel was a great piece. Nico Stern was so fun to talk to. Andre Burakovsky was a big part of this team, but. If before the season I got to choose one guy to be a part of that, it's fucking Jack, dude. Like, I would have said that from the beginning of the year before the schedule was released. If there was a guy that I wish signs with the team that plays the Avalanche on opening night, it's Jack Johnson. Because of the human he is and because of the age he's at, what he's been through in his life and in his career, that's the dude that deserved that moment the most.
0: Looking at the game a little bit, let's analyze some hockey. Um, The power play really was a major reason for that victory look really powerful really <laughs> looking good um, but that's the thing about this power play when when they're buzzing I mean it's it's almost unfair to the other team for this team to have a man advantage but uh, they, they made Chicago pay as they should and um, I guess that's just something we, we can continue to build off of here moving forward but um, yeah as we talked about in the Calgary loss there's a couple things they still got to sharpen up so it's good to see that the power plays is buzzing. hopefully it maintains that level and maybe even has a better success rate than they had last year
1: yeah, and honestly, uh, I know Nichushkin's on there too right now because Landeskog's out, but something about in on that top unit just works so well. The way that he goes and retrieves the puck, this is something Jared talked about at the trade deadline or shortly after the trade deadline when we all started to kind of realize, like, holy shit, this in guy's a player. Um That's the biggest thing he brings. That's why at the beginning of training camp, when we kept asking who's going to replace Kadri on that top unit, it was, well, Lekanen's the obvious choice. He's a right-hand shot. He does this. He does that. So it just made way too much sense for Lekanen to fit into that unit. And he has fit so easily onto it. So I think having him up there is big. I think once you get a little bit more healthier and Landeskog's back and you can put Nachushkin down to the second unit, that's going to add a separate twist to that unit as well. It's going to give them the opportunity to have, you know, Sam Girard and, and Bowen Byram and Devon Taves, probably Alex Newhook, all playing with someone like Nachushkin who can go in and retrieve pucks the way that he does and make that second unit, you know, a little stronger than it has been so far. But the Avalanche are just set up with their weapons to be strong on the power play all around.
0: Yeah, 100%. And yeah, just seeing the names that got the multiple points that night, right, all the big names, it's good to see the big names getting started. And of course, when your power play is buzzing, your big names are going to be buzzing as well. But again, just just nice to see them kick off the season with a, a bunch of multiple point nights from a handful of guys.
1: Yeah, of course. And, and just the guys that it was coming from, it's it was the obvious choices. It was Rantanen with four assists, McKinnon with a couple, McCart with a couple. But it was also Lekinen and Nachushkin that had two goals each. That was like, yeah, these guys are part of that top group. Like, you know, so long ago it was McKinnon, Rantanen, and Landeskog. And then it became McKinnon, Rantan, and Landeskog, Kadri, and the rest. Now it's five forwards deep of just strong players that you can rely on. And it's McKinnon, Rantan, and Landeskog, Nachushkin, and Lekinen. And you're kind of hoping Newhook builds his way into that or another second-line center does because that seems to be the only piece missing. But... Seeing Nechushkin and and be part of that group of guys that are putting up multiple points seemingly every night and pitching in offensively the way they are, it just speaks volumes to their growth and development and how they're regarded as one of the best on the team now.
0: Yep, they just need the supporting cast too, right? You can't, can't do it without those guys as well. Um, I guess yeah. let's get into to Georgiev's game. It's two goals, 17 shots, not exactly the best stat line. Um, but hey, they got the victory, and I don't think he did anything glaringly terrible so um, I guess what do you uh, take away from Gorgiev's game and uh, I guess but now that we've seen both goalies how are you feeling about him right now
1: so the first power play goal was that cross ice pass that went to Jonathan Taves no chance like that's not on him wide open net the second one uh, I believe it was also a power play goal similar idea and uh, he, he's not going to stop those like it's not on him do you want him to steal maybe the second one maybe but he didn't let in any bad goals He also didn't make any, like, huge saves, but the reason why that is is because the Blackhawks didn't really have any good opportunities. Like, I can think of three or four off the top of my head, pretty golden opportunities that the Flames had tonight, and Frankie stopped. Literally right off the opening faceoff, Toffoli got a nice chance, and uh, Fransuz had a nice stop on him. But Georgie just didn't face those chances, so it's hard to gauge how he plays, you know, making 15 stops, letting in two power play goals on a night where not only was it a quiet night in terms of shots that he faced but it was a really quiet night in terms of like big opportunities that he faced so i i, I literally like i can't say much about georgie's game just yet
0: yeah need a couple i mean and that's kind of how it is with everything that we're assessing right now like it, we have to talk about these games and we have to discuss these first two but For sure. All of it is kind of an overreaction, right? You kind of want to assess once you get a long stretch and you have more data to kind of go off of. But this is what it is. Avs are 1-1. and Yeah, I mean,
1: mean, yeah, like think about it. The Avalanche scored a ton of goals against a very bad Blackhawks team that's openly tanking. And then, you know, they had a fluky goal from Byram, let in five straight, and then scored a sick McKinnon goal and a nice Nachushkin power play goal in a game where Calgary was up by four goals and kind of started to take their foot off the pedal. So... How do you really assess any of these goals right now? It's, it's hard to, but it's it's the only sample size we have so far.
0: Luckily, the Avs have a nice little break to regroup and, and recharge and get ready for Minnesota. I'd be worried if I had Minnesota to see the Avalanche have that many days off to, uh, to yeah. re- re-energize. And uh, the Minnesota
1: Wild, I believe, lost 7-3 to three today. It was just the third time in the career of Marc-Andre Fleury that he's allowed seven goals in a game. So he was on the ice and goal for the entire thing. Against the New York Rangers, which obviously are a strong powerhouse of an offense as well. But uh, if you're the Minnesota Wild, you're not feeling too good about that next game coming up for the
0: Avs. Absolutely. Um, Guys, everybody knows Total Beverage in Westminster and Thornton, right? Sure, Total Beverage has an incredible selection of beer, wine, and spirits, but did you know they deliver? Did you know they have curbside pickup available? And did you know they do online wine education classes? If not, it's time to get to know Total Beverage again. Stop by on 104th in Thornton or on Sheridan in Westminster and see for yourself. Or you can always find weekly deals, events, and even drink recipes online at TotalBev.com. Total Beverage, everything you need and more. The conversation I wanted to have, I guess we'll have a couple more as we wind down the podcast here. But all the small things. We know yeah. opening the ceremony, it was fun seeing Mark Hoppus of Blink-182 get out there and, and lead the chant, and then the crowd singing it together. And tonight you even heard Calgary playing in it. Everybody kind of claims ownership over it here in Avalanche Lane, right? <laughs> like, oh, wow, can't believe Calgary's playing our song. That brings me to the question, is it time to retire the song and leave it as a c- commemorative, I guess, I don't even know, a, a commemorative – Object, I don't even know what the right word is to say. Yeah, part Um, of the
1: Stanley Cup run. You remember Um, St.
0: Louis when they had Gloria and they were using that as their little rally song? I mean, the next season, they, they put it away.
1: The big difference between All the Small Things and Gloria is Gloria happened organically during the playoff run. That was a strictly 2019 Stanley Cup playoff run song. All the Small Things is something the Avalanche have been doing for forever late in games, especially during the entire regular season. And hell, we saw it against the Blackhawks late in the third period. They had a multiple goal lead. The DJ put on all the small things. It's part of what they do. So I don't think they should retire it because they're not forcing it. They're continuing it on the same pattern of how they used it before. Uh, With the added incentive of we're gonna have Mark Hoppus come in and kind of lead the sing-along which if you didn't read the story at ESPN Ryan Clark got to talk to Mark Hoppus and it turns out that he was actually supposed to be there for game five When the Avalanche lost game five at Ball Arena, he was supposed to be there The rest of the crew was supposed to be there the rest of the band, but they had mechanical issues with their flight So they were gonna be there for if there was a game seven, which there wasn't So this was kind of already in the in the works for a little while, but nothing about that song at Ball Arena is forced say what you want about the song whether you like it or not whether you're a fan of it or not it was a very organic thing that the avalanche had been doing for a while during the regular season and then the playoffs come around all these national media members come around and they're like what the hell is this or why does this entire arena know this song front to back and it's because it's been a regular and a staple at that rink since before it was cold ball arena so it was cool to kind of see it happen organically and cool to see them do what they did with mark hoppus but I would retire the extra theatrics, singing it before the game, all that. Like That was the cherry on top right there. But the late third period, let's sing this because we're up by multiple goals and it's a commercial break, that's not something that happened in the playoffs. They had it before, and they should continue to do it. It's, 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 it's why we have so much fun at Ball Arena. The energy when they sing that song, it's unlike anything.
0: Yeah, you'd hate for it to get so stale. I mean, it feels right now that it's at its peak, right? Like, Especially now that they have the members of the band coming in and leading the, the charge and, and leading the sing-along, and it doesn't feel like it's ever going to get any higher than this. So you'd hate for it to get stale and eventually just fade its way out. I, it just feels like such a better way to commemorate the season, to just close it down, you know, put a – I don't even know. Uh, my words are leaving me. Put an end to it and, uh, and just just move <laughs> on. Find a new song to sing along to.
1: I don't know. The, the only reason why I don't agree with that is because, like, yes, it's at its peak right now, but it's just going to drop back down to what it was before. And and what it was before is still 18,000, 17,000, 16,000 because, let's face it, the Avalanche weren't selling out every night before this. Uh, however many fans are in the rink, they all sing it and they all know the words. And it's just it's, – it's part of the thing. Like – I've said this before on this podcast. It's probably been a couple years, a year and a half since I've said it. One of my favorite things going to Joe Louis Arena and games over there back in the day, which they still do it at Little Caesars, but you know I remember it from Joe Louis a lot more, was when the Red Wings have a lead or it's a tie game late in the third period, they play Don't Stop Believing. And the entire arena sinks together. Born in So just like how at Ball Arena they put the volume down of work sucks, I know, at Joe Louis Arena, they get to the line of just a city boy born and raised in. The volume goes down. The entire arena shouts South Detroit together. And that song has been a staple at that rink and in that city for so long that if or when the Red Wings go on another run, that's going to be exactly what all the small things is. And when that run ends, if somebody said, let's shut that down, they're going to be like, are you crazy? We've been doing this since the 90s or however long that song's been around. So it's a similar thing. It's just part of what makes going to games at Ball Arena Fun. The Avalanche have a lead late. You expect that song.
0: I wonder when it really did actually become an every night staple kind of thing. I know it's been a couple seasons. I can't say it's been that long, but... um. Yeah,
1: I can't remember the exact game where... I mean, I know the DJ's been playing it for a while, but like, when did it become a thing where every fan sang along to it? I can't say exactly. I mean, I've only been here for three seasons and one of them had no fans for most of it and then 3,000 fans... But uh, that is a good question. Maybe one of our listeners can,
0: can hit us up on that if they remember. Hey, thank you. Um, since we started recording this podcast, Nazem Kadri has received his ring from the Colorado yes, Avalanche. Sir. What do you know? He did. Yep.
1: So uh, that's exactly why his entire family was down there. If I hung out a little bit longer, I probably could have saw all that happen as well. But uh, that's, an, that's, you know, it's a good point. One of our uh, followers and listeners actually tweeted that to me as soon as I tweeted that his entire family came down uh he or she well i think it's a she because i think i know who it is said have they presented him with his ring maybe because because maybe that's what's going down so kadri's entire family was there because nazem kadri is going to be a while until he comes to denver it made all the sense in the world uh the flames twitter account has tweeted out some pictures nathan mckinnon presented him the ring obviously because gabe landiskog's not here and uh, you can just see the elation in Kadri's face. It's going to be, it's, it's, look, I, I, I know I'm a media member and I'm not really a fan and I cheer for stories more than the team, but it's going to be tough to, to get over Nazem Kadri not being in AF because everything about this guy just fits with this team. Looking at this picture of him and Nathan McKinnon smiling as he's holding this ring and looking at it, his wife is standing beside him as well, looking at the string as well. <coughs> it just fits and then seeing him wearing that calgary jersey today he just felt so off uh this is going to be a tough one i think for all avalanche fans to to get over but this is a great moment for him and his family and i'm so glad that he and his family got to have this moment and i'm so glad he got to have it after a victory like no disrespect to the avalanche it's better for kadri to win and then get this moment
0: and what a great fit it feels like he is for that team, to be honest, stylistically, right? Unlike Jack Johnson, yeah. who might never play another playoff game again, Nazem Kadri goes and, and, you know, that team is legit. I, I'm excited to see what they do yes. this season. Hey, I'm not going to lie. They were my Stanley Cup pick last season. Uh, I'll show my yeah. cards right now. They, they were that good. They just uh, you know, had a little hiccup there against Edmonton, but um, we'll see what they do this year.
1: He's locked up for seven years. Huberto and Weger have both signed eight-year extensions that start next year, so they're locked up for nine years. They obviously have Lindholm. They have all these other defensemen in, in Anderson and Hannafin and so on and so forth. This is a stacked team. And Look, this isn't going to be the last time we talk about Nazem Kadri because there are going to be tough battles against him over these next few years, especially the next two or three where Calgary's really, really in their window as long as,
0: along with the Avalanche. Absolutely. So yeah, that'll do it for uh tonight's podcast from the Saddle Dome, Arif Dean. Thanks for hanging out with us today, Arif, and uh hanging out extra late at a foreign arena. Yeah. I hope you enjoyed your time there.
1: Yeah, it's been uh it's been quite the day. Get this. Let me let me throw this story at you just to, to top off the night. So when I was trying to book my flight to Calgary a few weeks ago when I decided I was gonna do this game, um, you know, me and me and the bosses were trying to Find a direct flight and there was an eleven AM flight that left Thursday morning, obviously the day of the game because Wednesday night I'm at Ball Arena. So an eleven AM flight that leaves Denver and lands in Calgary at two PM. I went to try to book it and every time I would book it, I would get a note that it was overbooked. Your booking failed because this flight is overbooked and you know, the way that airlines are going nowadays, everything's just fucked up. So I was like, All right, let me try to find a different flight. Unfortunately, there were no other direct flights that would get me here in time for the game. So I ended up booking a flight that had a four-hour layover in Vancouver, where it takes off from Denver at 8 a.m. and lands in Calgary at 4 p.m. So it's an eight-hour trip. And on top of an eight-hour trip, for our listeners that live in Denver, if you have a flight that takes off at 8 a.m., think of what time you're waking up. 4.30? 4.30? five o'clock to get to the airport in time to check in and to get on your flight before boarding ends. Well, think of how late I was at Ballerina the night before. 1230, 1 a.m. I basically slept two and a half hours. Slept two and a half hours, drove to the airport, went through security, got to my gate to have the ladies say on the megaphone or on the, on the speaker before we boarded that we are asking for three volunteers to give up their seats on this flight because it is overbooked. This is not the 11 a.m. This is the 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. going through Vancouver flight. So this is the flight from Denver to Vancouver. Keep following me. It gets, it gets better. So I said, you know what? Let me go see what's up. I said, hey, uh, and they said, we'll give you like a $50 flight credit or something, which I don't even know how to, how to even get that. But uh, I went and I said, hey, what's going on with this flight? They said, oh, you know, we're looking for three volunteers. Uh, let me see if there's any other flights to Vancouver. We'll get you on another one today. I said, well, I'm not even going to Vancouver. That's just a layover. My final destination is Calgary. They said, okay, let me see what we can find you for Calgary. So they started to look and she said, how would you like to go on a direct flight to Calgary? Leaves at 11 a.m., lands at 2 p.m. I said, oh, you mean the one that three weeks ago I tried to book and was told it was <laughs> overbooked? She said, yeah, that one. I said, sure. So I drove to the airport really early. I slept a very little amount of sleep so that i can instead of waiting at my gate for half an hour wait at my gate for four hours to get here on the flight that i tried to book three freaking weeks ago and would have been able to sleep longer but didn't (laughs) get to in the end i got to calgary two hours earlier than i was supposed to i got in at 2 p.m instead of at 4 p.m and i was honestly kind of worried because after that vancouver flight took off i said this Calgary flight's about to start. Uh, <laughs> when they get time to start boarding, they're gonna say the same thing. They're gonna say this flight's overbooked and they shouldn't have let this guy on. And I'm gonna be shit out of luck. Thankfully, that didn't happen. I got to my hotel, took a nap, had some poutine, had some Tim Hortons, got to the game. It's midnight, and we're still rocking. Anybody? Just another day in the travel life.
0: Anybody on your flight worth noting?
1: Oh yes, that's right. So I was in, uh, you know, for for frequent flyers C and D. seats C and D are the two aisle seats. I had. Seat D, and seat three of my or seat C of my row was Gary McCarr, and then sitting by him in B and A was his wife and I believe McCar Kale McCarr's girlfriend. So, you know, we were we were two of the first people to board. We both sat down, and I said, "Gary, it's Eric Dean, Malahai Sports. We met in the playoffs." And he goes, "Oh, hey, how's it going?" And then we just sat there while the rest of the flight boarded, walking by us with both of our heads in the aisle, talking hockey like a couple of nerds just breaking down the X's and O's of last night and, oh, you know, the ceremony this and the banner raising this and Kale did this and Kale did that. And we just had a blast doing that for about 20 minutes. Then everybody sat down and, you know, I think I even reached out to you and I was like, Hey, you know, this is cool. Maybe I can get a recording with, with Gary McCarr. after the flight takes off, we'll continue to chat and, you know, talk some hockey, throw it in the podcast. But as soon as that flight took off, that precious man took out his book and his highlighter, started reading a chapter book and highlighting things along the way. I was like, I'm not bothering this man. He's in the, he's in the zone. So that was cool. Went through, got off the flight, went through customs and everything with Gary McCarr, his wife and, and Kale's girlfriend and just kind of hung out with them the entire way. The line was like 30 minutes deep. So we just hung out in the line together. So Shout out to Gary McCarr, one of the nicest people you will meet in this, in, this, uh, in this industry, and he doesn't even work in this industry. He's just a hockey dad, but he's a great one at that.
0: What a time. I hope you had a blast, and I guess let's wrap up this podcast before they kick you out of there. They're oh, trying to yeah. turn the lights off. I, I see the cleaning ladies <laughs> behind you trying to get Cleaning ladies get literally
1: sweeped everything around me, and I was, like, pushing
0: garbage to them. I'm like, sorry, sorry, <laughs> I'm leaving, I swear. All right, well, yeah, we got Minnesota up next, and then we got two home games Wednesday and Friday, and then, of course, a back-to-back against VGK, Vegas Golden Knights next Saturday. So uh, action-packed avalanche week here coming ahead.
1: Yeah, and one last thing from me, expect a video probably Friday of this glorious, spectacular, dangerous, scary, holy shit catwalk sitting above the jumbotron that you have to walk to get to the press box i talked about it on our last episode people have been tweeting me i got a video of it
0: it's it's insanity love it love it i'll look forward to that so um yeah i guess for Arif at the saddle dome i'm jj don't forget our friends over at superbook sports and total beverage in thornton and westminster if you made it this far in the podcast bless that pretty little heart of yours let's make hockey for everyone we got you